Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It is uh, Thursday, December 31st. As the we last day this. of the year. Last day of the year. Yes. We made it. So we figured we would do a little uh, year-end review. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be, it's always a good exercise to do to kind of reflect back and see what went well, what didn't, and all that jazz. Totally. Yeah. Uh, before we do that, do you have any like quick updates of what's going on? Yeah. Actually, as of the time this episode drops, which should be January 7th, we should be on Product Hunt today. <laughs> we, have a, we have a planned, uh, a kind of planned launch there. It felt like, felt like the right time to do that. You know, the, the product is a bit more mature now and we can kind of have good answers to a lot of the questions that tend to arise when you do a, do a launch there. So Corey and I schemed on this and it felt like a, a good time at the turn of the year to uh, do that and make some noise there and see what that brings. So. Nice. That's cool. That's that, that's nice to have someone who's experienced with that kind of thing helping you to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we first started talking about it, I was like, yeah, we should do that. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, there's probably some steps to it. You know, you, you obviously have to post it there or have someone hunt it. And there's strategies on how best to present it and what kind of design assets to have available when when you launch and all that. And uh, Corey started making a doc and it's like, it's like a five-page doc with a bunch of copy and things. So like, oh, yeah, there is a lot to this. And that just reinforces how happy I am to have someone in my corner thinking about this stuff and uh, having experienced it too, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. That's, I mean, someone, I think, just posted us on there for us. And we're like, oh, yeah, we should go uh, respond to this comment thread. Yeah, yeah. It's such a funny thing because it's like, I mean, like any like any system, it's gamed often, you know, in a way where it's like not, you know, skirting their rules too badly i mean i think most products that see success on there are like you know very carefully planned the launches and everything i don't think they necessarily um discourage that you know i think they're the product hunt team like wants people to put in effort and stuff but it's just so funny how it probably started out and intended to be this organic thing that people posted stuff on and now it has become this uh (laughs) this platform where everything's kind of um curated and such so cool well that'll be exciting I'll be curious to hear what the sort of outcome from that is. Yeah. My expectations are kept in check. I think it's going to be, you know, probably lower quality traffic in the sense of like, uh, you know, it's going to be lower converting traffic probably than some of the, the traffic that I've been getting through other means. But that's that's not a judgment about product hunt users. Oh, no, no. Just, Calling them low, just, quali- low quality. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, maybe that's not the best term because, <laughs> yeah, it's a very scientific term, not a, uh, you know, not an indictment on the people, but just a untargeted traffic is probably the best way to, to say what that is, you know. And so in advance of that, we, I think I talked about this a little bit last time, we're doing a, a little campaign ahead of time to encourage people to reserve their username in advance of that because I were expecting a, you know, a large rush of signups and stuff. And so far that's, um, you know, it's a, it's a quieter week in terms of just p- people are taking time off and stuff this last week of the year. But we set up a landing page specifically for this where the call to action is reserve your you know username and and click a button to, to sign up and basically lock it in. So far we've had north of 100 signups from that. It's pretty low converting at this point in terms <laughs> to, to trial even, but that's to be expected. I think it's, you know, it's a lot of people who are like, responding to the FOMO factor and getting their username, but they weren't necessarily ready to start using a new product yet. So that's, that's within expectations, you know, well, worth, worth trying seems like. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, like even if those people don't convert for a long time, that's okay because my goal is to like ideally get as many people in the world as possible with at least a, a, a Savvy Cal account in their hands so that when they look at a Savvy Cal link, their calendar is available, you know, and that's that's the optimal experience. And so uh, yeah. um, that is yeah. right. Yeah, that makes sense. Huh. That is kind of cool that they get value even if they never really do much with it. Right. Yeah. Potentially I mean, if someone sends them another link. If someone sends them a link and they look at it and their and their calendar is there, they might actually be like surprised. Like how? Wait, how was he doing this for a second? And then they re- remember that they <laughs> created an account. You know. So, nice. this feels to me just like one of the many hundreds of little things that you will do to like try to spread awareness and get people going and all that. And like any one of them might not have a huge impact, but you know, over time you're building this this trickle of people coming in. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. We've done some some January planning, and I'm pretty excited about. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, talk about all of it right now, but as the weeks fold out, we have some some little experiments that we have kind of on the docket throughout January to try. So, so I'm feeling feeling good about the marketing roadmap. Remind me, like how much time Corey is working for you? Uh, I think he's averaging around ten hours a week. Okay. Yeah. So, solidly part time. Yep. Yep. It's a good blend of planning stuff out and there's usually a little bit of light copywriting with it and i mean his copywriting is it's fantastic like so far like the emails he's written and the landing pages and stuff have seemed to really really resonate so he's got the chops there but it's a manageable enough scope body of work that we can still still make progress on planning stuff without him just like writing copy all day and needing like you know tons of hours to do that so hmm. nice yeah yeah that's great yeah it's also just great to see you working with another smart person and like getting mm-hmm. a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like a new level of legitimacy. Yeah, right. And um, I'll touch on that when I talk about my my reflections of the year, but I think more, you know, more of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of stuff. yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Well, so we, should we get into the, the that then? The yeah, let's do it. Yeah. It's a quiet week for us. Not much going on. If you look at the graph of like total pairing calls, it is clear Tuple is used at work. Everything has really fallen, fallen off a cliff, which actually is like, I mean, we're, we're lucky that way. Like quiet weekends, quiet vacations, like holidays is, I feel blessed that way. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to do some reflection. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So I actually, to prep for this, decided I really wanted to write something, like get like a, a written record of this year because it was, it was a crazy year for us. And I was like, someday I'm going to want to have a, uh, like something that approximating a journal entry and so i wrote a pretty substantial post that i'm just waiting for a review on before i publish it but by the time that this episode goes out it should be live on our blog but i'll use that as kind of like my notes for this and the thing i started with actually was just a kind of a, a quick recap back on 2019 just to kind of like bring myself up to like what where are we now and 2019 was our launch year so started with something like 12 teams invited new cohorts from the waiting list every month or so and a thing that I had kind of forgotten that felt significant, and as I look back on it, was that the we didn't have self serve sign up until somewhere around October. So so we were like we were like in basically closed beta for almost like like ten months somewhere around. Yeah, there. yeah. And so I forgot like, that totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. There was no pricing page, and like you had to like contact me. Like in the beginning, you had to contact me and like I would manually generate you an invoice and send it to you. And then when you paid it, I would go and like you know, Rails console into the back end and like set you up an account and then email you the link. As the year went on, we slowly automated various 
pieces of that. But even like right towards the end there, to access the sort of secret signup page, you had to kind of go through me. So to me, that was interesting because like we we were doing significant MRR at that point with nothing, like no public signup. And so it, that kind of hammered home the whole like, you don't need it yet, really thing. Not that this is like the optimal way, but like if you if you don't want to build a signup flow or a pricing page, uh, you don't have to right away. I think it depends on the market hole, probably like, you know, some types of products, maybe you need a selling point of it is the way you present it. And like the the aspects of of low friction sign up and stuff like that those may be hallmarks of certain types of applications but it felt like for tuple the pull was so strong there was such a such pent-up demand for this type of thing and a void in the market and that kind of meant like that didn't even need to be a priority for a really long time for you guys and arguably that's one of the best kinds of businesses when you have such such palpable demand and nearly instant product market fit right (laughs) yes totally yeah so this is probably not like a general prescription. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of played up the, it is a sort of scrappy startup. You're joining a movement in the early days kind of thing. And I think that helped us build some of that excitement for people. I think sometimes I see people go the opposite where they're like trying to act like the big company. I think sometimes it's better to embrace your kind of newness and roughness and smallness. Mm-hmm. Yep. But Anyway, so 2019 overall, the gist of 2019 was basically trying to quickly ship the big pieces of the product. In the beginning, it was just two people. We added three-way calls. Um, there was no webcam support. We added that. There was no. We had to sort of redo dual cursors, ship that later. So it was a marketing site we didn't have until towards the end of the year, really. It was just kind of a very simple landing page. That was 2019. Get the basic things out there kind of fast. And at the end of the year, it was still just three of us. 2020 happened so it was basically march is when this skips ahead to being in 2020 we're like this is great everything's going well like the business is doing is doing well i'm happy with it it feels simple and calm and then march craziness happened where basically suddenly our target market a total addressable market uh, exploded over the course of a couple of weeks and the theme of this month was like wow uh, all of these things that had been we had been getting away with as the scrappy startup because the growth rate was manageable uh suddenly kind of broke so like first of all just literally like scaling problems we had that kind of experience where we had teams that were so big that suddenly this like kind of naive process we had for showing who was online blew up the sales lead inbox blew up the support queue blew up everything was just kind of uh, a bit crazy and actually if you want to hear a post-mortem of the servers falling over and what we did episode 126 of this called tuple takes over Joel and Spencer came on and we kind of retold the story of this this crazy day of like pushing out a fix, clicking refresh on the, you know, performance metrics and the background job queues and hard coding in specific team IDs to do different things and you know just trying to like make the thing not not be broken. That's a good lesson. That's fun. Remind me if you have this in your notes. I don't know if you do uh, or if it's seared into your brain. At what point did you guys achieve profitability to the point where like you were break even on paying paying your salaries and like at like market rates at market rates Um, you know like i don't know if you were paying yourselves paltry amounts in the early days and then like got yourselves up to like okay my income's fully replaced but like how long did it take from inception to get to that place where you were like yeah we're, we're all paying ourselves and we're like not you know dipping into our own savings to live and stuff if you just say like ramen 
sorry, it was our first goal of like rent and food was around June of 2019. So five months, six months, and more like developer salary kind of range is probably around the end of the year. That would be like close to like real. That was pre the craziness and we were like, I was happy. Like I wasn't like, oh man, I was like, man, we're growing so fast. This is all happening quicker than I thought it would. This is great. And then the the insanity happened. Like, and so like March was like, it was a big spike. I feel, I, I read about this in the post, but it, it feels weird kind of acknowledging like the benefits from a thing that was so bad for the world. My overarching feeling of it was, it was actually really nice to be able to do a thing that was helpful for people in that time. Like to, to like, we actually still get emails from people because people are still not going to work where it's like, this makes it easier to work from home all the time. Uh, I feel more connected to my coworkers. And so like that, that feels really good. It was a challenging time for us, but it was like that good kind of stress where at the end of it, like the company was stronger financially, but also team wise. Like we hired a part-time support person. We hired a part-time salesperson. We pushed out this infrastructure fix that we knew we needed to do eventually Overall, it felt like a kind of a, a positive transformation for us. Yeah. You should feel bad if you're the guy who bought up all the hand sanitizer and tried to sell it for 100x <laughs> on, uh, on eBay. Yes, <laughs> but, yes. Uh, you were actually providing real value with your product, and it just so happened to be an opportunity to grow. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That chunk of time is sort of a, a third of my kind of like annual look back was just like, wow, that was, that was quite a thing. Um, I have other stuff too, but maybe do you want to start some of yours? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As I thought through my reflections, like I, I sort of broke it up into three different areas, like what what things were went well, what things didn't go well, and what are the things that I want to change for next year. And so let's we'll start with the start on the the good stuff. I think the big the big thing for me of this year was launching Savvy Cal, starting and launching Savvy Cal. So I mean I started the year out kind of at I would say somewhat of a low point. I mean thing static kit was was going. It was not growing very fast and I was struggling to figure out, you know, how to turn it into a real viable business. And to remind listeners, I mean, that was sort of a in between, you know, coming off of building level, um, which I wound up last year around May and then kind of spent some time reflecting, trying to figure out what, what to build, what to do. Do I get a job? Do I take another swing? You know, level was a very challenging experience because I, I came into it with such energy and optimism and felt like this was you know it was biting off a, a huge problem it was audacious it was it was arguably way too big for for being a solo operator and yet i was like i'm gonna do it anyways and i don't regret it i learned a ton from the process but you know it was demoralizing to to have all of the all of that energy kind of result in in having to to wind it up i i will admit you know even though there there are positive takeaways from it but that was that was tough, and so Static Kit was kind of a rebound project. It was a it was a fun technical thing to to kind of get in this Jamstack realm and build some developer tools and really you know channel my inner my inner Stripe and try to build good APIs. And that's the I mean I have I have fun doing that kind of stuff. It fit in those respects and it had some early some early good signs but of course i came into it very jaded coming off of level so i was like i was always kind of cautious about about being too optimistic about its future and that may have harmed honestly that may have harmed my ability to grow it but i also think you know i ultimately identified a bunch of not so optimal things about the market about the positioning about the, the fact that it's sort of a commoditized service and i didn't really have a strong vision for where to take it and make it 
make it more valuable. And by the beginning of the year, I was really starting to feel like, I don't think this is it. I think this is, you know, it ultimately brought in in the hundreds of dollars a month in revenue. And, but it was just something to, something to work on as I schemed for the, for the next thing. And so scheming I did. (laughs) And, Hmm. but before you get to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel a sense of like regret or that you could have like skipped the static kit phase? Um, I don't really have regrets because I can't really think back and, and think of a way I would have planted the Savvy Cal opportunity idea in my head at that time. Like I, I was doing all the things I was laying for hours in my hammock. I was writing notes, whiteboard, looking through all my, all of my, you know, notes from ideas that I've had from the past and kind of vetted them. And I vetted a bunch of different ideas during that time too. I was kind of eyeing doing a kind of a Stripe billing type thing. Um, glad I didn't because Stripe now has a customer portal. <laughs> there was a bunch of things that I kind of was was tossing around and vetting. And so it's like, I don't really know how I best could have accelerated that process. I mean, maybe one of the ways to do it would have been like, oh, go just work for somebody for a while and and refill the well of like pains that I observe and experience myself and then start to tackle one of those, you know, because I was really, I mean, it's really hard to actually come up with true good business ideas that have good markets that are actually validated and stuff like that's that's really difficult to do and i think some of those best ideas come from just doing other things and recognizing the problems you know i don't regret it because i don't really know how else i would have gotten to where i'm at today faster i don't have a specific thing in my mind it's like i should have done this instead okay yeah (laughs) does that adequately uh satisfy the question yes Yeah. yeah yeah i will give myself credit for you know, deciding to move on from it, there was kind of sunk cost fallacy that potentially could have come into play where I, you know, I could have said like, well, I've put in this much time and, and I had tiny seed funding at that point, but I wasn't, I wasn't touching it. I was like, I'm going to experiment with this for a little while, but I'm not going to let this go too long. And, and if it's not looking promising, I'm going to pivot into something else. And so I kind of, that's another sign that I wasn't fully committed to it because I hadn't, I didn't really start aggressively using the tiny seed money. So I did, I did call it and it kept running and it's still actually, it's winding up as of this week. You know, another part of that story that I sold that to Formspree and that felt like a good, a good way to end it. I didn't want to just start this thing, get, get a bunch of mostly free users using it and then tell them, Oh, sorry, it's shutting down. Like I didn't want that to be the, the ending for that. And so I was glad to find a new home for it. Why did you take the tiny seed money? The timing came about what was good for that because I was coming off of level and I decided I wasn't ready to give up on this whole starting a SaaS thing. I just didn't want to. <laughs> and I still have personal runway. You know, I could, I had some options, right? I could have continued to self fund something, take another swing. But when I got in conversation with Robin Einar and they're like, look, we believe we believe in you. You're a smart guy. You're a smart founder. We think you can do something really good. And there's an opportunity to join the batch. It felt like it would be dumb not to. The biggest stressor for me was like, I didn't feel 110% confident that like Static Kit was going to be it. And I expressed that to them. They knew that. But they said, you know, well, work the process and see what happens. There, there were some signs that showed that maybe this could work out. It was... You know, it's kind of a a nascent industry. The, the Jamstack ecosystem is 
is not not nearly as mature as like the WordPress ecosystem, for example. But it's like this could be kind of the next WordPress in a sense. Like it could really become a meaningful way that people build websites and the tooling ecosystem around it could could kind of rise with that. And so they're like, yeah, it's a hypothesis. Go ahead and test it by building a startup and see what happens. And so they kind of reassured me that we have confidence you'll figure it out one way or another. And so I kind of had to take on some of that confidence the best I could and and try it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it felt like a nice reset from from level, you know, because I had burned so much personal capital just funding my own my own paycheck basically um through that time. So that felt like a the having the money in the bank was nice um to kind of reset. I understand it from their position too. Like I think the whole like Derek Reimer is smart and will do a good job at this is probably a, a pretty solid investment thesis. <laughs> Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it remains to be seen, but I think it's—I think it was a good bet. I get why they did it. Right, right around the time that happened, I got incredibly stressed out, and I because I put so much pressure on myself. I think I was like, "Well, it should have been a relief." Like, okay, I have some runway. I have some invest. You know, these are my friends and investors who believe in me, and you know, so you sh- I can just take a breather. But instead, I think I put so much pressure on myself that it set off i I get these uh cluster headaches they're like migraines but 10 times worse (laughs) and um and they're usually triggered by stress or they're just kind of cyclical like they come for you know a period of time and they last for a couple weeks and then they're gone and right after taking the money i like had a one of my worst uh (laughs) bouts of cluster headaches in a long time so that just kind of shows you how i how i operate like i've I'm my own worst critic, I think, and put the most pressure on myself. Um, yeah. Well, I told I can totally empathize. Like you were risking someone else's money, and and now like your relationships are kind of affected by your performance in the business world, and and especially back then, the the it was like very unclear how it was going. Yep. Right. Right. If I remember when we talked about the Tiny Seed joining Tiny Seed early on, you were interested in sort of the social component of it to some degree like feeling like you're part of a group and getting some interaction with other founders and support and not just being kind of a solo operator have you felt like that's that happened yeah for sure i mean i think the the cohort was my everyone in the cohort is fantastic and you know i keep in touch with with most of them somewhat regularly still in the the tiny seed slack and you know keep in regular contact with those people and it's fun yeah it's just really nice to be marching along through this process with with other companies dealing with a lot of the same the same issues and that's you know I kind of was pretty alone on level it was a big technical hurdle to to even take a bite out of that problem so I spent a lot of time kind of in solitude building you know so it was a nice it was nice to come back out of that and have more community accountability and be working through problems with with other founders more closely and that's what you know, Tiny C definitely brought that for sure. And now I have this, uh, you know, my mastermind group that I'm in with uh, Matt Wensing and Peter Soom still continues. So that's that's a nice remnant from from my time in the in like the full Tiny Seed cohort. So nice. So that's been good. Yeah. Next phase. Yeah. So so then Static Kit kind of gradually took a back seat, and I started. This is around the beginning of the pandemic. Um, as it turned out, <laughs> working on Savvy Cal. And it's it's funny the, how the details even get fuzzy for me, and it wasn't even that long ago. But I think, you know, it really emerged from 
this exercise that I regularly do when thinking about business ideas, which is just kind of making lists of tools that I've used, had a lot of experience with. And, you know, Calendly was one of those from my time at Drip. We used it a bunch. And I've in, I built an integration with them for Drip early on. That was one of the first integrations we built. And um, we used them for demos and stuff. So I had a lot of experience with that. And, you know, started taking a close look at, at a lot of these types of tools that were in my tool chain. And that one had a lot of qualities that I liked in terms of the market and the way that people could use it in single player mode. It wasn't like level where you had to convince an entire team to use it. Founders could adopt it. People in my ecosystem, listeners of this podcast. So there's just on and on and on all the, a lot of things in the pros column um, for that. Yeah. And what, what month was this by the way? I think it was around, I want to say March. I shouldn't really look back, but I, I might've been a month or two before that when I kind of, was started honing in on this um, on this problem. So I think I thought about it for a handful of weeks and started having conversations. I had a whiteboarding session with Rob. He was pretty quickly like, "Oh yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot you can do on this." And we we started coming up with with different angles. And you know, it wasn't entirely clear whether the market would be founders, whether it would be something more specific like podcasters or something like that. But yeah, it just kind of the ball started rolling on having conversations and I started chatting with with founders from Tiny Seed, founders from my network and and um before I knew it, I was in the thick of do validating a new product. And yeah, I think I broke ground maybe in April or so um on the code base. Mhm. I remember in the early days being a little bit worried for you because it kind of seemed like you had like picked a niche and a product but you weren't like, and I'm deeply dissatisfied with X, Y, and Z about the incumbents, and therefore we'll be going after them this way. Um, it felt a little bit more like you were like, this is a good market, or like this is a, this like people need scheduling tools, and kind of started on that path, and then you kind of found the differentiation that you needed along the way. Does that sound right to you, or am I just misremembering? Well, I would say a lot of the differentiation points that I've implemented in the last year were on a list formed in April. <laughs> okay. But but I was unwilling to just build them without hearing from actual people in the market that that's things that they want, you know. I think it's really easy for um people who are somewhat creative, people who consider themselves like a product person, it can just kind of like I could sit around and probably take any kind of and dream up ways to make it more powerful, better, easier to use, save people time, save, you know, improved workflows, all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't actually mean that people care about that stuff. So I think it's like I have a lot, had a lot of ideas coming into building the product and I could get sufficiently excited about them and, and, you know, know that like, oh, I'd much rather use this tool that I'm envisioning than, than the incumbents. But the question was, does the market care about that? You know, they care about the same things that I care about enough to say like, yeah, I'll pay $12 per user to Savvy Cal instead of Calendly. That's what I was cautiously trying to um, validate as I, as I got going on the product. It's seeing the like comparison to Calendly page and, and people switching over. It seems like you, that worked, which is good that to me was the kind of scary part was like it wasn't like there was like this hated competitor in the space and they were like totally incompetent and you know everyone would like wanted to switch off if there if only there was something good it was more like there's a pretty good something out there that a lot of people have heard of 
from my perspective, is like, is there a big opportunity there? But it seems like along the way, your your hunches and then your conversations with people showed like, oh yeah, there there are things where it's like this is you know a mass market tool that's not specialized enough in this way or doesn't do these power user features, that kind of thing. It's a strategy that is not like I think a lot of people like to go into something where it's like where the the options on the market are so are obviously so horrible and you know the world needs something that's 10 100 times better and it's like usually in reality like we're we're especially now the SaaS ecosystem is so mature we're in there's decently good solutions for a lot of things and it's usually the contrast is not going to be that high generally and you have to so there's a balance of like people recognizing they have pains with things but then also like you have to come in with a vision of how to make it a lot better. And sometimes people don't even realize that they want their product to be better until you show them. But that did feel like a bit of risk. Like I didn't, wasn't certain this was going to work out. I remember there were people that I talked to uh, early on that were skeptical. They're like, Oh, I don't know, man, competing with Calendly sounds like a, you have a death wish, you know? And then now like fast forward eight months and they're like, using savvy cow loving it and they're like oh yeah i totally get it now i totally get where you were going but it's like i described basically the same thing to them you know eight months ago and they're like i don't know man i'm not sure if i'll even switch because i don't know it's good enough that's interesting so i thought <laughs> i also thought like tyler tring has had a decent take on this was like talking about like as he was noticing one of your tweet threads being kind of like going into a, a crowded market or like a competing with someone that's pretty decent is fine if you can rapidly ship amazingly polished you know power user ux features like derek reimer can <laughs> yeah yeah and so maybe there's some, i don't know maybe there's something unique about what i can bring to the table but i think that's i don't know i think that's pretty easy to say about a lot of things that you have to bring you have to bring your a game you have to bring a, a high degree of of quality to really compete because the bar is continuing to get higher you know i agree yeah that that like willingness to pursue the higher quality and a sense of taste to identify when you've got it i think is is kind of in short supply overall so there i think there are like very few like niches with no competitors right but then so, so like you're gonna have to do something to improve upon that or, or have a different take that people like but that requires a point of view and you know the ability to make something that resonates yeah right that's the only kind of software that i'm interested in building to be honest like i look at some there's some you know very niche products out there that solve you know a very specific set of problems for for a group of people but the but the software is not like doesn't look that good doesn't feel like a highly polished thing but it still works they make it work because it's solving a problem for a very specific niche that's underserved and I've just never have never been attracted to that type of problem. Like I want to build tools that can be used by a large by a large market that are that win on polish, win on quality. And that's to me, that's kind of the challenge I'm interested in taking on. I know it's hard. It's probably harder. Like, and maybe I'm making it harder on myself to actually get traction early. But that's what I'm interested in. And I have to love. I have to love my work. You know, might as well try to build something that I love doing. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think for given your skill set, this is probably a, a valid strategy. Whereas if you are going to struggle with this kind of thing, maybe go look for a way less, you know, under like a way more underserved niche where the bar is, is going to be a little bit lower or you can compete on things that are not as challenging to do. Right. Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. So I was thinking we would talk about hiring next. Sure. Yeah. 
that makes sense for where you are in your in your flow yeah 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 so i mean fast forward from so that was you know started broke broke ground in april ish and i think i started onboarding my first customers in august and that was just kind of by invite only some of the people who were the most earliest of early adopter types then i started i publicly launched in september and wow so you're only four months into savvy cal really being publicly available yep yep early days early days yeah but um i like my revenue graph it's (laughs) it's the most confident i've felt in a couple years about about the trajectory of the business um nice where are you at these days i'm just shy of 2k mrr nice yep yep and wasn't it 1k like a month ago or something yeah yeah so that that kind of 50 percent month over month is still uh (laughs) still holding (laughs) nicely yep yep cool that's good and that that's further than the other things got right oh yeah yep my next goal is to catch up to uh next little mini milestone is catch up to where code tree got which i think was like just over 4k mrr and then it's default alive <laughs> so yeah but on the hiring front so i pretty quick after launching of course i have you know a long roadmap of things to to add to the product and i have hungry customers that are always willing to tell me the things that they want to see and so combining you know my own my own instincts on what to build plus what people want like i've got a ton of work cut out for me i decided to make my first foray into bringing on some help uh to work on stuff that's outside of my primary skill set which is marketing stuff so you know kind of started looking for that like a part-time contract-based marketing generalist who can bring strategy and execution was kind of the kind of the uh the criteria just so happened that that Corey haynes had moved on from bare metrics at the end of the summer i think and um doing his own thing but also doing consulting on the side and i saw him talking about this on twitter the wonderful twitter platform (laughs) where our community lives and so yeah started a conversation with him and it it was turned out it was going to be a really good fit for him too to to kind of like consolidate some of his consulting work um into you know one client as opposed to having like a bazillion clients so i think he still has other clients that he's working with but he's been able to pair back a bit so it's worked out well for him and yeah it's been a major like i couldn't have imagined how much of a help it was gonna be i think because i just didn't have the imagination to, to, to think of that and it's been it's been really really nice like to have another really smart brain thinking about you know, we should rethink our positioning, what resonates with people, and then, you know, runs through the entire April Dunford positioning process, produces a six-page document, kind of like, here's all, you know, all my understanding of the market and who's getting value out of the product and what they're attracted to, and distill all this down into this pitch, this headline, this is what's going to, we think is going to resonate, and that's like many hours of work that I didn't have to put into it, so it's been really nice this sense of adding smart brains and being sort of surprised at how valuable it was is kind of another big theme for me for this year so we hired three people a a full-time engineer and then a part-time salesperson and a part-time support person and also we hired uh, security and qa firms that we work with i had been kind of skeptical on hiring for a while we're programmers we can automate things you know and like we're pretty lean and mean and I kind of take pride in us being efficient and, you know, not needing to hire a lot to get things done. But there were two big things 
that happened this year. One was we were getting kind of close to burnout, doing this clear the support queue every day, trying to maintain a really complicated thing without help and like um, adding a ton of customers We put, put a lot of stress on us on top of it, where it's like suddenly if a bug is in production, we're like affecting the real day-to-day work of tens of thousands of people. So the pressure went up and we were getting kind of closer to burnout. And then also, I just didn't really grasp at a uh, fundamental level or like a, like a gut kind of level what it's like to have someone smart uh, help you on the business um, and to like be aligned with you and like working sort of side by side. The thing that I kind of didn't, didn't click for me was like, it's not just that like someone's taking work off your plate, but they're also going to take it off your plate and then probably do it better than you could have. Like adding Mikey to the team was like, we know we have to do these these giant refactorings because we've built some tech debt from the last year. And like, it feels scary and intimidating to take that on. And we're kind of tired. And Mikey was like, I can't wait to do this. And like, just like started fiercely hacking and slashing and going in and like, and, and also brought a whole new skill set to the table at the same time. So it wasn't just like energetic, but also had this this knowledge to apply. And we saw the same thing like in, in sales, like I'm allergic as I've complained here a million times to like the sort of enterprise sales process. And so I was like, always oh, kind of resisting it when I was doing sales for Tuple. Like, do I have to fill out this form? Do I have to do this thing? And like, Adam just like, doesn't really mind. Like it bothers him like, you know, 10% as much as it does to me. Um, and so he does a better job of it. And he's because he's not, he's not mad. That sort of double benefit of like, it's not just that you can do more and like this thing, this thing is taken away from you, but like also it's probably going to be done better than before. Um, that's when it started to like feel viscerally. That's the word I was looking for. Um, yeah. Like, ah, okay, this is why it's worth hiring and adding good people to your team. Right. Because think of the things that you enjoy doing the absolute most. And there exist other people in this world who think of the things that you really don't like that much as that, like, that's their absolute most enjoyable thing, you know? And so like getting everyone working on the, the thing that they're, that's really in their sweet spot. And yeah, like as someone who I write copy, I do marketing stuff. I like to think of like interesting, like marketing ideas. Like I love the ideation phase, but then the actual work of it is just, I'm not that passionate about it. I much would much rather write code, you know, that's where I get my drive my joy. So then the fact that we can ideate together and then it's like, all right. And then he actually enjoys, you know, writing the copy and kind of doing the nitty gritty stuff and it shows in the work. And for me, it's always kind of an afterthought, always kind of like, uh, all right, well, I got to fit this in amongst the other things that I'm, the other really valuable things that I'm doing. And it's kind of the opposite, you know, for, for someone who's, that's their skill set. So, yeah, uh, we're doing a, a retreat next week, just the founders and the co-founders. And I have been sort of thinking about what I, what I think we should do in 2021. And I found myself almost leading from, oh, well, what if we hired this many people and like put a person over here and put a person over here and like what 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 could we do next year and what would it look like and it was an interesting way to work from it because normally i would think like what do we want to do next year and how do we do it with the team we have and just for kind of like a thought experiment i was like what if we thought about all the kind of departments and like the areas that tuple functions in and made sure we had a person in in those places and then then what could we do next year what would feel uh, possible and it was an interesting way to look at it like I don't really have concrete goals for for next year per se, and I kind of mixed feelings about setting like New Year's resolutions and goals and that kind of stuff. But one of the things that it's like a guiding principle that I have down for myself is like 
be careful to avoid the trap of of holding on to things too tightly and i did this at drip a lot and that's probably my number one in when in reflecting back it's like i think i held on too tightly to control of the code base when we hired engineers because we needed more parallelism i still kind of kept too tight of reins on things i think and it was also partially like we we hired folks who were pretty new to software development that's the strategy that we chose is to train up juniors and so i kind of had to i had to come into it with like a well i still have to keep an eye on every line of code that goes in the code base and but i think i held on for that for far too long and that ultimately led to just i was kind of burning myself out because i was still managing things too closely and and not letting people just do their do their craft without too much oversight so something on my list to be very careful about in the coming year i like it nice so the next thing on my list is kind of like a looking at some of the stuff we shipped do you have anything all on those lines or should i just take this or um you can just go for it yeah all right so the title of this section of my blog post is actually debt payoff so the theme of 2019 was kind of like quickly get out these tentpole features and 2020 was more like come back and do those things again like redo these things because often they needed like a rewrite at the code level um sometimes they needed a rework from a ux level um, or they just sort of need to be brought up a, a couple steps because they were the sort of mvp version of the feature that we imagined and it was like okay we've now there are a bunch of areas where we feel like we need to come back to because we haven't really solved the this isn't it doesn't feel like the final form of this answer one of those was like the ui for example which you redesigned for us very skillfully uh, we also like had a huge refactoring of the signaling code, which is the code that handles like how the connect- the clients connect to each other and establish streams and things like that. Did a big fleshing out of the the three player mode um, with the observer shenanigans that were happening, but we also like rewrote a bunch of the mouse and keyboard handling, rewrote a bunch of the audio handling code, lots of bug fixes, lots of crash fixes, things like that. When I looked at kind of the change log and the things we shipped. It was kind of interesting to me. I, I felt a little bit disappointed about, like, about the like number of user-facing things that we shipped. Often the UX of something would improve or would get more stable, for, perhaps. But it did feel kind of like a rebuilding year, in a sense. It feels like it's paid off in that the code base is now in a much, much better place. And so we're ready to go tackle these bigger things. And like call quality ratings are good. There's fewer crashes than before. I have a little bit of mixed emotions, but I, I sort of I'm feeling good about it thinking of it as like, okay, that was like the sort of preparatory time period where we were getting things more stable and like next year is is like we're we're poised to do a lot. Yeah. I mean I kind of had a mini mini compressed uh version of that, I feel like in the last two months. November was like a crazy ship a bunch of stuff kind of month. Like I had probably eight things on the change log <laughs> for November. And then December just shaped up to be, I, I just wrote my investor update and was trying to summarize like, what did, what did we get done in the month of December? And there was not a ton of like user facing features, but it was a ton of like resiliency work and paying off some technical debt and stuff. And yeah, similarly, I kind of had a, I was like, oh, this is kind of disappointing, but I think it's important to to keep in mind that that type of work is really vital and you build MVP stuff, but you have to do that circle back if the MVP <laughs> yeah, features totally. and, and, and underpinnings are not like where you want to be for the future or else you'll end up, you know, kind of completely locked by your legacy if you don't if you don't go back and kind of attend to that technical debt. That's the bargain you're you're sort of making, right? 
Yeah. And I'm sort of like yep. very comfortable with the whole let's ship a simple version of this thing to start and see how it goes. Um, I'm it's it's less exciting to come back and polish it, I think, or to sort of rework it if need be. Um, but that really is kind of that's the bargain. That was us this year. Or not you know, not the whole year, but that was that was the chunk of it. That's what stands out. Overall, I feel like a really strong sense of optimism for the next year. We've got margin to hire people so we could do interesting things on the hiring front. Code base is in good shape. Team feels good. And like there's there's some some features that we I think we can do now that people have been that we've been excited to do for a while or like, you know, two years ago we thought like, what if we did this? And like I think now, like twenty twenty one is finally when these things are gonna happen. And I'm still like really happy work I, I'm enjoying it. Like it's it's still really fun. And like I had a couple calls with customers last week. And we get emails and tweets and all this stuff. And like we have like people are just really nice. Like we definitely are like attracting a, like a, a good group of people. Like I like making a thing for developers. And like I think people maybe have this perception of like working like making a tool for developers is bad or hard, like dangerous. And like maybe that's true. But like we have been fortunate that people are just generally like really kind and supportive and give us good ideas and are excited about the product. And so I'm I'm excited to keep working on it for people. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. I too have, yeah, I've, I'm feeling quite optimistic. I feel like this is kind of, Savvy Cal is, is poised to really grow quite a bit in the next year if we if we do things right, you know. Um, the trajectories are all looking that way. So now it's just just a matter of uh, of running the playbooks and <laughs> making it happen. But I feel, um, yeah, I feel like I have a good sense of what what things to build into the product that, that people want and and so, yeah, feeling optimistic as well. Cool. Well, here's to 2021. Yeah. Indeed. It'll be interesting to see what our uh, 2021 look back is like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. You think you'll hire a few people? I think so. Yeah. The question will be, when does Default Alive come? And when does when does margin come in the business? You know, And that's what I'm really looking forward to most is it's not a particular end goal num- growth number or amount of profit necessarily. It's are we profitable? <laughs> that's that's what I want to achieve. Cool. Well, I think it's going to be a good year. Yeah, I do too. I'm optimistic. I can't wait to hear when you get there. That'll be fun. Yep. Podcast party when it happens. Continue documenting here, of course. Yes. Well, thanks to everyone for listening. This has got to be our longest one in a while. Yeah. Yeah. We went to 50, 50 something minutes. So it's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, notes of the show. Notes for the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening all year. See you next year. Bye.